For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of After Hours with Tifo and Luby, Jeff DeForest and Mike Luby Lubitz. And uh, this is a very special occasion for us because uh, having moved to South Florida to cover sports in 1981, I was amazed uh, at the reverence with which the 1972 perfect season team was regarded here in South Florida. They didn't have the full spectrum of professional sports back then. Uh, Don Shula was the man. And uh, whenever the subject of the 72 team came up, and these guys were very much integrated into the community, which was also a wonderful aspect of uh, covering sports here in this town at that time. Uh, well, whenever uh, you know it came up about the 72 team, everybody would say, uh, and, and the catalyst of the whole perfect season, it yep. couldn't have been accomplished without a battering ram. And that was, and that's why it's appropriate, his memoir is entitled Head On. We welcome to the show the great Larry Zonka to the program. Uh, Zonk, how are you? Good to have you on the program. Well, it's good to be here, Jeff. I'm uh, not sure about battering ram, but I'll, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> well, it was incredible, uh, you know, because I, I often allude to this, and maybe a lot of people can relate to it, and, and maybe you were that kid also in your neighborhood. I would imagine so. But uh, when I was growing up, there was a guy named Joey Venata. He was the best athlete uh, in town, and he was also the biggest and the toughest and when we played uh, schoolyard football, uh, Venata would get the ball, run up the middle, and all 11 guys on defense would be on top of this guy, and he would just move the pile all the way to the end zone, <laughs> no matter how far away he was. You were doing that in the college and the pros, yep. Zach. So, uh, well, that had, that had yeah, to be yeah, to be honest with you, it appears sometimes that you're moving the pile and the momentum changes, but I, and I don't need to argue with you because it's, you know, it, we sometimes that happened, but usually it was me and the defensive backs who were 50 pounds lighter than I when I was flashing and moving. And I had some guys in front of me named Langer and Kuchenberg yep. and Little, and they moved the big guys. If you got Joe Green up there, you're not going to do that to Joe. You know, he's not going to be at the bottom of the the pile. Stops at Joe. Yeah. <laughs> but if you get around him, then then you get in the backfield, you can move some people. Talking to the great Larry Zonka here on After Hours with Defoe and Luby. All right, tell us a little bit about what people will find in the book, Head On, because I would imagine, I mean, the stories regarding you are legendary, so I would imagine with you telling the stories, uh, they would become uh, even more glamorous and uh, and more uh, you know interesting as uh, you offer up this uh, Head On uh, for the people's consumption here on the Sports uh, Bookmark. Well, Jeff, I've always entertained uh, perhaps someday you know, after every, after it was all over of writing a memoir and talking about, you know, telling the stories as I remember them. And during the course of my career, several times, Coach Shula would, uh, you know, he had a policy. He went into his office and you spoke what was on your mind one-on-one, man-to-man. You didn't have to recognize the head coach as the head coach. 
he spoke man to man. But what was said in that office was usually in confidence and kept that way. And <laughs> yeah, he said, you know, while we're both on the face of the earth, I want to keep these conversations personal. And uh, so I did. <laughs> but after his passing, it kind of rang the bell. And I, I really, more than anything, wanted to release some of the stories, particularly the, <laughs> the very confrontational ones that I had with Coachula, <laughs> to, show, to show what a fair-minded and great coach he was, not just uh, what appeared on the sidelines, but how deep a man and how classy a man he was and the integrity of the man, which was, you know, to be a head coach in the NFL and live by a strict uh, moral code is a very difficult thing because you're dealing with a lot of different situations, a lot of different people. But he managed to do it, and I, you know, I admired him for it. And I took the opportunity to answer your question. I took the opportunity to talk about those things that I told him would stay between he and I as long as we were both on the planet. Of course, coach has passed, so I felt it was time to, to tell my side of the story, but more importantly, to talk about the integrity and you know the honor that he, he handled things uh, as the head coach would. No, a lot of dignity uh, surrounding that team, especially at that time. Uh, uh, you, of course, uh, were known uh, as part of uh, the dynamic duo, Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid. We got to know Jim Kick very well over the years. He was always involved uh, in community endeavors and charitable uh, work here inside the community, always a willing guest to come on shows and a great conversationalist. Uh, how would you characterize your relationship with uh, Jim Kick, and how did it evolve over time? Like a brother. Mm. I think uh, family, he and Merck, uh, Mercury Morris, uh, you know, interesting situations. I mean, they were like both like family. And Merck came to us and uh, started breaking into the lineup in uh, 71, 72, right in there between 1971 and 72. And, you know, it was a competitive thing between he and he and Jim. Back then, you know, he had one guy that was declared the first team guy, and that's the way it was. Now it's you know open substitution. It's a lot different, and it started to change about that time. But for the two of them, I think when you when you question the personality or the character of Jim Kick, you have to bring in Mercury Morse because that demonstrates what a, what a good man both of them were, were and are. Because instead of being super competitive and pulling and tearing each other down or being jealous of each other, they became good friends, competitive but good friends. And when they would change, one would come on the field and one would come off, they would smack hands as they passed each other to demonstrate that. And I think that was an adherent factor that was very important to that uh, 72 team. It made the difference. Larry Zonka guesting with us here on After Hours with Defoe and Luby. The book is head on, and Larry is also uh, going to appear at the Miami Book Fair on Saturday the 19th. So this coming Saturday, 11 a.m., that's at Miami-Dade College, the Wolfson Campus, and for more information about that, uh, you can go to MiamiBookFair.com and get to see the Zonk uh, in person. Uh, uh, were you, uh, Jim Kick, and maybe to Merck, more likely, more inclined to hang out with Jake Scott or Dick Anderson? Because uh, there were a lot of different characters and uh, a lot of different character, you know, uh, about that, or, uh, you know, a big character differential with the people on that team. Well, I think there was an adherent factor in that team, and it, it went... Um, in the early days, it was kind of uh, all of us standing pitted against Coach Shula and his strict policies of no water on the field, different things that he uh, 
brought in as policy, as practice policy, we all were ra- enraged about and raised cane with him. But as we started to win back in 1970, when he came to us and we started to win after three or four weeks of going through his grueling two-a-day, four-day sessions in the, in the heat of Miami in uh, blistering situations, but we started to win. And when things started to turn around, we stopped complaining quite so much. And I think it was Shula's idea that he he got us to get along particularly well together and centralized us with the locker room in a way that the locker room wasn't just a place you went in, took a shower, threw your equipment on, or you know, or took your equipment off, took a shower, and got out as fast as you could. It started to be an area where you could congregate, and that led to a lot of friendships starting because of, of the guys sitting around and being together as much as they were. I went into that kind of detail. It's hard to just sketch it, give you a thumbnail sketch of it when you're talking about it. But in the book, I went into great detail about that because we really truly got to know each other. And at first, it was like us against Shula. <laughs> and then we, we became solid as a team, and it was us against everyone else, and us was including Shula. You, uh, Larry, also played for a legendary uh, college coach, and uh, I got to Syracuse the year after you left. Uh, you, you were drafted in 1968, first round by the Miami Dolphins, eighth pick overall. I, I got to uh, the campus there in 1969, and I remember thinking as I was going out to a frigid Archibald Stadium to sit there on the cement seats and watch Syracuse lose to Penn State, I, I thought, wow, I, I thought this, uh, you know, this was going to be good. We were good at football. Uh, until you left, and they handed number 44 to Rich Panzition. And uh, it really tore that whole tradition apart there. I don't think it was uh, ever the same. But uh, how would you compare? I mean, uh, these are two iconic guys. I don't know if people remember Schwarzwalder as much as Shula, obviously. But uh, how would you compare uh, playing for the two? Uh, I I would think – I don't know that Ben was aware the forward pass was legal, and and Shula certainly took advantage of the running game when you were playing there. Well, when you compare them, that's a great difference. Their belief in the, in the how the forward pass uh, should be integrated into the game. There was a great difference yeah. of opinion between Schwarzwalder and Shula. There, Shula was defensive back and recognized the future of the NFL laid with a, was uh, running parallel to the forward pass. Schwarzwalder, on the other hand, in college, particularly from the old days, being a military background, he believed in the reality of the situation and what the rules were. In other words. When you throw that ball, three things can happen, and two of them are bad. So why in the yeah. hell would you throw the ball? Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it came from. And it led to great running backs, uh, Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, Floyd Little. Uh, great company there at Syracuse. Uh, you know, a great lineage of, of running backs. That, uh, you know, it was not unusual to carry the ball 30, 35 times in a game. Yeah, Jim Nance, you could throw him in there, not the announcer, but the guy that uh, was, was just a terror in the early days of the – American Football League, uh, you know, and that's interesting because that's a legacy I don't think will ever be matched. Even USC, but with uh, some sensational running backs and all of these schools that are known for their running game, I, I don't know that anybody will touch five running backs uh, of significance in succession like that uh, as they had at Syracuse uh, University. Uh, all right, uh, and it's great that uh, you were able to put this together because it sounds like it's going to be a really, really interesting read. Uh, head on, Larry Zonka, a, a memoir. And uh, you're going to be out at the book fair on Saturday, uh, so uh, people can look forward to that, miamibookfair.com. Zonka, always a pleasure. 
Uh, loved your career and, of course, uh, everything that you've done thereafter. You've been a real adventurer. Uh, how, how many appearances? Did you ever make an appearance on the American Sportsman? Because you, you would have been very appropriate for that, no? Oh, a couple times. Yeah, oh, yeah? Okay. Nice. Some of those shows, uh, some of those early shows, TV, TV shows that I got on with the outdoors in mind, uh, led to me getting involved in actually starting my own show and doing the North to Alaska series for some 17 years up wow. in Alaska. Wow. We're talking about doing another memoir just about uh, – just about Alaska, maybe a couple of years down the pike, because there was so much that happened, and you can only put so much stuff in a book. So we'd like to do another, perhaps, in the future. Man, that was a great show. I, I love that series. I, I don't remember uh, specifically all of the episodes you were on there, but uh, we always had an over-under on how drunk Phil Harris would be uh, during the uh, tapings <laughs> of the American <laughs> Sportsman, because uh, looked like those guys really had a good time around a campfire. Uh, Zonk, always a pleasure. Uh, you know, uh, one of the great things, honestly, about current sports here in town is how integral a part of everybody's uh, emotional fiber the 72-team players yep. uh, are and were. Yep. And uh, the legacy still goes on. Uh, we're hoping Philadelphia goes down tonight. And uh, thanks so much for joining us here on After Hours with Defoe and Luby. Absolutely, Jeff. Luby, you guys, thanks for having me on. Zonk, thank you so right. much. Thank you. Larry Zonka, ladies and gentlemen. That's freaking cool. Man, he was a battering ram. Huh? He was that kid in the neighborhood that just carried the entire oh, team yeah. into the end zone. You being modest. Like, what's, what's funny is, and look, we're believe it's digital, so maybe it's a lot of a younger audience, and you're like, why are you talking so much about the Dolphins? Because Zonk was just like a mythical figure. Like, when I was growing yeah. up, like, they would show the videos. It was, Him and Jim Brown were very similar, where it was just like men amongst boys. <laughs> like, it was, he yes. would just carry people. Brown was, was, uh, was more of an athletic funny. sort, though. I yeah, mean, he, he was faster. He the outside and but take just, off. And Zonk would just run. He, he never <laughs> ran the ball ran without having two guys, guys draped on his back. <laughs> and he would carry them, literally, like 30 yards down the middle of the field. While Shula sat there and said, uh, I can't believe this guy. And then you throw in a ball on the outside to kick and murk. Yep. That was something, man. Yeah. That was some dynamic offense. Bob Greasy, Hall of Fame quarterback. Paul Warfield. Warfield. Was a <laughs> yeah, Warfield was a decoy. decoy. He's like a top ten receiver ever. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, some people in the Hall of Fame would say he was the greatest ever, even though Jimmy Rice. Yeah, yeah, he, he, would, he would be. He was underutilized. That was a decoy on the uh, team there. But you didn't need anything. I, literally, they would hand a ball. Uh, how many times did you watch Dolphin football? I remember growing up in the Northeast. I'm uh, watching the Dolphins on TV. And the big thing, of course, was uh, it was your Ratso Rizzo dream. Everybody wanted to move to Miami because yeah. it would be November 16th or whatever. And uh, there was Flipper jumping out of the pool in sunshine. <laughs> and girls in the stands and pasties in a G-string. And you thought, man, I don't care where that is. I want to live there. Yep. I don't care if it means that I only have five years left to live. I, I want to live there for the last five. And Zonk was a big part of that uh, whole, whole thing. But, uh, wow, tough as nails. And, uh, well, a very uh, affable fellow. I mean, you, you're figuring. Yeah. I know uh, you were thinking when you booked Zonka, well, geez, I, I don't know. Do I want to talk to this guy? Because, uh, you know, he might be kind of crass. But uh, nothing like that. That wasn't anything like our Tillman Fertino interview. Uh, the owner of the Houston Rocket. He said she told us to go fuck ourselves after the first question. <laughs> Those are never pleasant. Uh, <laughs> All right, Luby, I'm uh, I'm off to Atlantic City. Uh, I'll be reporting in from there, and we'll have Brandon Lang, I guess, on Thursday. And um, he, he's been a smash hit with his uh, selections here on our Believe podcast and, of course, his own podcast. You can catch our uh, morning show, uh, the Defoe Show, with uh, Mike Luby Lubitz. Uh, Luby will be holding the fort the next uh, few days on South Florida Live. And we hope you'll subscribe and uh, become a part of our membership core there. 
And uh, we have a great time every Monday uh, through Friday, uh, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, you can catch the shows on the archive. Uh, if you like what we do here, you'll love what we do there. So uh, I can say that in all confidence because you know what, Louie? As I head to the sports books of Atlantic City and uh, the Borgana with all the quasi-mafioso from Philadelphia and uh, New Jersey competing for space there in the corner and who can talk louder and who can yell, Yo! Yo, Sally! Yeah, I got your money. Uh, that's the kind of thing you uh, hear. And uh, look, looking very much forward to that. Although it's supposed to be like 25 degrees out. And I just walked the dog. And, and could it be more spectacular outside? Yeah, the weather here is great. So oh, my enjoy God. Enjoy Jersey in November. <laughs> and I'm fucking flying to New Jersey to lose money while the uh, Mustang takes advantage of our rewards program. Uh, I mean, the amenities they give her are outrageous. Yeah, when they get her in. She must be losing. <laughs> yes, that's the point. Way more money than I'm aware of. <laughs> No, really. I mean, you had to be a whale back in the day to get these kind of accommodations. Yeah, well, we don't... Free airfare. I mean, when we get there, they, they, they tell the schleppers to go to the Tropicana. And then uh, we get upgraded to some, like, uh, you know, high floor in the water tower where you, you literally have 360-degree water views. Mar-a-Lago isn't as spectacular as yeah. uh, this room is. It's fantastic, right? You see the flounder fishermen out there. You see the dead bodies washing up in the swamp. It's fantastic. But, um, I, I mean, they couldn't have come. And, and then immediately, hey, uh, what restaurant you want to cop in? We'll write you a script there for 300 bucks. You need a car to go anywhere? You got that. What do you think that's based on, Louie? That's not based your on wife. minimal marginal slot play, my friend. No, your wife's doing some damage. That, that's what's interesting. And I'm a loser as far as they're concerned. Because I, I don't even stay on the property because uh, they don't have any horse betting. And that's why I'd prefer to spend my time, uh, at least if I'm going to lose my money, let it happen on, you know, something that's of my own opinion. So while I throw them a little bit, you know, a couple of sticks here and there on the video poker, and I've had success, actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not even a factor. So she must really be sending it in. I mean, blowing mortgage payment after mortgage payment on this thing. Good thing I bought the house for cash. <laughs> Thank At God. least I know I can't lose that. At least not right now. <laughs> All right, Louie, a lot of fun. You guys uh, have a good time, and uh, we'll see you again on Thursday with Brandon Lang. Uh, for Mike Luby Lubitz, uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And uh, no matter what you're doing, even if you're going on like a suicide mission to Atlantic City, New Jersey, with a bunch of altacockers on a, uh, I mean, we do. We I'm 71, and Mustang's 56. So what's that? Uh, 127. We're talking about a 63 and a hook, uh, average age, and we bring the median age on the flight down by seven years, with 100 people on the flight. So you do the math on that. I, I would say 90 plus is the demographic. Of the people on this flight. Over under number of uh, wheelchair assisted people that would be getting on the plane. <laughs> oh, God. I, don't I always know. put that at nine and a hook. Oh, Jesus. And you'll see like 10 lined up immediately there. Tennis balls are at a premium for the walkers and uh, the different things. And then the people, they run to the bus. As soon as you land, they run to the bus to get the priority seating here so they can get off first and start plunging right away. It's great. All right, uh, we'll see you next time, and, and we'll leave you with this. Uh, the thought is, no matter what's happening, even if you have the commanders getting 11 tonight against Philadelphia as they get stumped, keep in mind, right down to the final seconds, you've got to believe. Hey, folks, Tony Segreto here. Let me ask you a question. What do you look for when you go out to eat? Good food, obviously. Friendly atmosphere, not too loud, but good energy, reasonable prices, and a place where you feel comfortable. 
All those ingredients, <laughs> no pun meant there, are hard to find unless you're talking about the Texas Roadhouse. You see, they encompass all of those attributes. Really, really good food, amazing atmosphere, good for a family, good for a date, or just a night out for yourself, and prices that will make you extremely happy. Their ribs unmatched, steaks hand cut every day. Everything, and I mean everything, is made on site, including their incredible bread. It's the one day, folks, that you can forget about low-carb diets. Trust me when I tell you, Texas Roadhouse, your restaurant, your destination, when you say, where should we go and eat tonight? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.